often when I've been speaking to groups of doctors or medical practitioners, they've said from the chat that they've had with me is more than they learnt in their entire medical history. Go in there, if you just shove something inside a vagina willy-nilly without any arousal, then it's probably going to feel pretty uncomfortable. Tanya, good morning. How are you? Morning, Maya. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Always a ball. I think we got a big one this week. Oh my goodness! I think I'm going to trip over my words this morning. Hey, <laughs> we've got a good one. We've got a big one. We have. I mean, I think a lot of people. It's definitely a big part of pop culture. I would almost even say and the butt of many jokes, um, the whole idea and story of men not necessarily being able to find the clitoris, but there is some research that has shown many people who have vulvas themselves are also in the dark around the anatomy of their their genitals. I'm already tripping over them. Um, So today (laughs) on Let's Talk About Sex, we are going to be going through the physiology of pleasure and in particular about the vulva. Yes. Very exciting. (laughs) I think a lot of people are going to be learning something today. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, and do text us in with questions if you have anything about how the bits are put together and how they work. Yes. Now, so when researching today's segment, today's episode, um, there are things I I think anyone and everyone can um, resonate with that you personally might not be aware of in your own anatomy. And I had no idea about a few things um, about before, I guess it comes down to the type of like sex education you would have had in school, which across Mm. the board is very, very different for a lot of people, let alone nationally. Um, I just learned that there's virtually no nerve endings beyond the outer third of the vagina. Could you take us on a bit of a tour of the vulva, labia and vagina? Because it seems there might be a lot of owners of these parts who may not know. Yes. What a good thing to discover, isn't it? That research is so amazing. Mm. And the things that we learn as we go along. There's, there are some things I learned about my own anatomy that I didn't realise until I started studying sex. And I was just flabbergasted when wondering, why don't they teach this stuff at school? Mm. It's so important. Um, so, yeah, um, the thing about that is true there are no nerve endings in the inner two-thirds of the vagina so take note when you hear conversations around size mattering because in that particular situation it doesn't matter at all it's how you're using your equipment and what you're doing for your your partner's pleasure but uh so right here we're going to try and discuss the layout of anatomy on the radio so this could be a little challenging but um i'll try and guide you through as we go along Right. So if we're going to talk about the anatomy of the, the vulva, um, at the top, so starting from the belly down, we've got the mons pubis, which is a pad of fatty tissue that covers the pubic bone. Um, all genders have this, all sexes have it. Um, it's sometimes called the mons venus for vulva owners, and it's more prominent in vulva owners. So it forms the anterior part of the vulva. And then if we're moving down, we have the clitoris. Now, this has been a bit of a mystery, and we'll chat a bit later about the very wonderful Dr. Helen O'Connell, an Australian who researched this and put some fantastic information out there. But most of the time when we see this, it's like a little small button or a glance that you can see in the diagrams. But that's actually just the tip of an iceberg. Like underneath the pubic bone, 
um, we've got a clitoris that looks like a wishbone. So there, there is a long wish, it really does look like a wishbone, up to four centimetres long. And coming out of that wishbone are some legs or crura, we call them, that are up to nine centimetres long. So there's this, yeah. this it's spongy tissue that can become erect and it's on the inside of um, our bodies. So I think many, many, many people who have vulvas do not realise they have erectile tissue and that things can sort of swell up and do all these amazing things. And these tissues are made out of exactly the same structures that are found in penises. And we're all very aware of what penises do when they're erect. So it's kind of interesting. We have one set of genitals that it's not so much of a mystery. We know and we can see it's very obvious. And then another set that are very mysterious. Yeah, if we're moving down, then um, you've got the vulval vestibule, right? This is the part of the vulva between um, the labia. So the, the, there are outer lips and inner lips. So it's the part where the inner lips join. And into that, you've got um, a spot called the urinary meteus, which is basically the ure urethral opening, where, where we pee from. And the introitus, which is the vaginal opening. Right? And they are surrounded by inner and outer labia. I much prefer the words inner and outer rather than menorah and majora because that implies that genitals need to look a certain way. And as we're all becoming aware, there's no stock standard size, shape or configuration for, for vulvas, which is a beautiful thing. Mm. You know, expecting these vulvas to look the same is kind of like expecting everyone to have the same face, really. We don't want to be all the same. And then at the bottom, if we continue traveling down, we have the fourchette, which is where the inner folds of the vulva are. And this is where the, um, the, the inner lips meet down at the bottom. So that's often called the frenulum pudendal, right? And then below that, you've got the perineum, which is um, the, between the entrance of the vagina and the anus, right? And that um, behind that, there's all... Um, spongy tissues as well right so there's lots of parts that we're not sort of realizing that can engorge and feel nice and when later when we talk about arousal I think we'll understand the importance of this and then sort of in so that's the external bit and then we have the internal part which is the vagina right and I feel like that is where this uh it's not a mirage but this mysterious thing called the g-spot exists but it's not the only <laughs> spot in there I know, right? There's lots of spots. I've seen a lot of press recently, which just confuses me that still people are thinking that the G-spot is a myth, right? <laughs> I'm like, uh, uh, no. So the G-spot is actually where the clitoral system, so those legs and walls that we were discussing, when they swell up, they compress on the uh, external wall of the vagina. So you're getting a sort of pushing in there. So G-spot's actually part of the clitoral system. It's actually where our urethra is tracking down over the top of the vagina, our urethra is covered by a urethric sponge and that swells up uh, when uh, we get excited and that's what's actually contacting the top wall of the vagina. So we like to call it, uh, what do we like to call it? Um, it's not the G-spot, but it's the G-crest because it can move around because our organs are all sort of moving around. Right. Also in there, you've got, the U-spot, actually the U-spot's um, outside, it's external. So it's located just under the clitoris above the entrance to the vagina where the urethral glands are. So it surrounds the opening of the urethra 
Uh, and it's got its name because it looks like an upside down U shape and it's pretty close to the urethra. So there's some imaginative naming there. <laughs> and then we have the A spot, which is a patch of sensitive tissue that's positioned at the very back or the innermost point of the vagina and that's next to the cervix. The cervix is where the uh, vagina is actually connected into the uterus, right? So that's mm-hmm. tucked up in the, the, right up towards the back or the top of the vagina. And then we have the O spot, which is even further in behind the cervix. Uh, but if you want to go searching for this spot, it's important to know you need to be very aroused, right? So there's all these places in there for people to go exploring and they all consist of tissues that swell and arouse, become engorged before they start feeling nice. If you go in there, if you just shove something inside a vagina willy-nilly without any arousal, you're not really going to be able to access these points and it's probably going to feel pretty uncomfortable. I was going to say, it would definitely feel a bit painful. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, So uh, the idea for these is get yourself really excited and turned on before you do some exploration yourself or with a partner. Interesting. All right. Well, there you go. There's more than one uh, vowel. Vowel spot? It's <laughs> not even right, but there's more than in the G spot. Yeah, and I just sort of compare them to, they're like pinball bumpers, you know, they kind of pop up when we get oh around. <laughs> they kind of have these spots that are like ding, 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 ding. Oh, yes, that feels really fantastic. Yeah. They don't come up and they don't appear until we're, we're sort of getting ourselves really turned on and aroused, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I feel like this all kind of comes to as many uh women or people who own quote-unquote female organs would know that there are a lot of areas um of like female arousal or vulva people owning arousal that are being studied but also aren't being studied what are some of those uh responses those female arousal sponsors responses that are currently being studied or you think should be studied Ah, uh, wow, wow, wow. This is an enormous question. Um, I think we've learned in recent years about the clitoris and how that's, that's been structured. And this is the work of Helen O'Connell. And again, we're going to come and talk to her because she's one of my academic heroes and I think she's amazing. So she's a, a urologist that studies the clitoris in her spare time. I mean, it's so amazing. And she's discovered this stuff and put it out there and really sort of used science to fill in the gaps of um, people's ideas over history. So I actually think that we need to take what we've learned in recent years about the clitoris and arousal systems for folk with vulvas and start to teach about pleasure, right? We're getting, you know, we get very different messages about genitals for, um, for vulva owners. We get incorrect names. Most people refer to uh, the vulva as the regina, vagina. Um, we get messages of shame and disgust. We get an expectation for vulvas to behave the same way as penises. And again, there seems to be a really big hurry to get to any sort of penetrative activity when it comes to sex. I think we need to be teaching and learning about arousal and slowing down and understanding what's happening in our bodies and what feels good. There seems to be, this is just missing. Uh, And it winds a lot of people up in medical practitioners surgeries and these folk do not get taught about pleasure and what feels good and often when I've been speaking to groups of doctors or medical practitioners they've said from the chat that they've had with me in like an hour I'm usually given to speak is more than they learnt in their entire medical history (laughs) (laughs) which you know oh that's really frightening really frightening 
Well, <laughs> if you've just tuned in, you are on Let's Talk About Sex right here on Mornings on FBI Radio. My name's Maya Billick and I am with Tanya Coons. We're going to come back and in trying to debunk some of the myths about vulvas and vaginas, we're going to talk about uh, female arousal systems and everything that comes with that. We're not going to give too much away just yet, so be sure to stick around after this next track by Endless and Crazy Mike. It's called Dave Part 2. Endless and Crazy Mike there with Dave Part 2 from Sydney Base. I am joined with Tanya Coons right here on Let's Talk About Sex. And we had a cheeky text on 0409-945-945 wondering if the clitoris grows your entire life and if it's true. Tanya? What a question. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Thanks for sending that in, lovely text person. I actually don't know. So I'm going to make a commitment to research that and find out. To the best of my knowledge, I, I don't think so, but I can't say that with 100% conviction. So mm. let me look for you. And uh, next next time I'm on, we'll talk about it. Well, I guess that kind of comes into what we're going to be talking about now about female arousal systems. Um, while we were take, talking about the idea of taking too long to orgasm, could you tell us a bit about the orgasm gap? A quick refresher. I feel like everyone knows what it is, but yeah, they do. I really love that this has gotten so much media. The orgasm gap has been, come from some research that discovered that 95% of straight men have an orgasm every single time they have sex. And 89% of gay men do, 86% of gay women do, and only 65% of straight women do. Um, so I found that really interesting when I compared it to the statistics for masturbation, right? Because mm. um, When men masturbate, it takes them on average four minutes till they have an orgasm. So I also know the research for partnered sex that women uh, or people with vulvas require in the the middle of the bell-shaped curve, 17 and a half minutes of stimulation in partnered sex before they can have an orgasm. But when we looked at the masturbation statistics, it was also four minutes. So this really demonstrates to me that folk don't understand the anatomy of folks with vulvas they do not understand arousal they're treating them the same way they're treating penises or they simply don't know Mm. Uh, i think that that's a huge explanation for why there is an orgasm gap i think i know the answer to this next question which is bouncing off that if there is a stark lack of information about female arousal systems compared to that of male arousal systems yeah i'm going to take a stab and say that is a big fat yes but yeah, they're, they're, they're so little known. I'm really, really surprised. And, and I've seen research that shows that 85% of people who are involved are not aware when their body is fully aroused. So they did some tests where they showed um, people with penises and people with vulvas um, erotic pictures. And at first they started with rivers and lakes and mountains. And then they showed pictures of men and of women, of women and women, men and men, men and women together. And they had to press a button if they felt turned on, but they also had some things to measure their physiological responses. 
And what I love is that the men in the study, they press the button every single time. They're like, yay, rivers, yay, lakes, yay, mountains. Everything turned them on and their bodies responded accordingly. Beautiful, right? But when it came to the women in the study, um, they very rarely pressed their button, even though in 85% of cases, their bodies were like, yes, I'm thoroughly turned on by this. And usually for the folk, for pictures of people. So it really does show that our bodies are a bit of a mystery. And I think, you know, to sort of dispel some of that mystery, I think that most people think that a vagina is like, it's like a little hole that's waiting for a finger, fist, penis, dildo to drop in for a visit, right? But most of the time, a vagina is a squashed flat balloon that's just kind of sit, hanging around there and it needs a switch to go off in the brain. Right. So for penises, they can wake up with an erection or they can get an idea in their head and boom, ready to go. But for, for folks with vulvas, something needs to go off in the head to send a signal down into their genitals to tell them to start engorging with blood. Right. And when that happens, um, little cells in the body start to expand and fill up and you, you start to get what, you know, beginning of open for business. Now, I think when people do what I call a bit of flick and twiddle foreplay, you know, they feel around at the breasts and they, they're very excited about sex and what's about to happen and they feel the outside of the vulva after a few minutes and they feel some moisture and they think, yes, we're good to go, we can put something in there. What they're getting there is a couple of drops of viscous fluid that are really designed to coat the tip of whatever's going in. Fingers, fist, penis, dildo, right? So it doesn't mean that everything's fully aroused because uh, the vagina needs to actually balloon out and swell and it needs to sweat. And all of those beautiful spots that we talked about before need to become aroused and engorged before things are going to feel good. So um, you really need about 15 or 20 minutes of foreplay to be going on. And then around the 20 minute mark, what happens is all the pelvic floor muscles drop down to make way for whatever's coming in. This is the information I think that we need to teach at schools because trying to shove something in there willy-nilly without arousal, without lubrication, a lot of people are ashamed to use lube, all these sorts of things can result in pain and discomfort and just a complete lack of pleasure. Mm. Right. So, and then we've got once our pelvic floor muscles drop down, those those big bulbs of the clitoral system, as the vagina's ballooning out, those bulbs are swelling up and they're pressing it in. Mm-hmm. So it sounds kind of counterintuitive, but what they're doing is making a lovely, slippery, slidey place for things to go and they'll be a perfect fit no matter what's happening. If your clitoris is expanding and swelling because you're aroused, whatever's going in there, be it long or short, thick or thin, whatever shape or size, will fit nicely, right? And you'll understand later some of the arguments that people use that dispels some myths, right? So while we've got this going on as well, when we get very, very excited, our uterus starts to get pulled from a smooth muscle behind and it starts bouncing around and it gets pulled up and out of the way when we're super duper excited, almost pre-orgasmic. And that makes a lot of space in the insides for what I call the kind of porn star sex where you're doing, you know, full on penetrative bouncing around the sort of bang, 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 bang (laughs) that you see on porn, right? Yeah. start with that kind of penetrative activity because it's not going to be comfortable. The body is not going to be prepared to have that going on. Um, you need all of the swelling and engorgement for the cushioning, for the, making things fit well, and for the pleasure of the bit. 
right? So without all of this, it's pretty easy to understand why there's discomfort or pain or difficulty or tricky to reach an orgasm or just not enjoying the whole process. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, totally agree with that. And it's very necessary thing. It's, I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with a bit of trial and error. No. <laughs> I mean, the exploring is the fun part, isn't it? It's not about getting it right. It's about, gee, I wonder how this all works. Um, yes. Now, <laughs> very quickly, coming back to one of those very special spots we mentioned a little earlier. Tanya, ah. please enlighten us on the G spot. Ah, okay. Well, you know, I think it's one thing if you know how to find the clitoris, but there's another thing to know what to do with it once you've found it, right? So please don't press, find it and press on it like it's a button. I think <laughs> a lot of folk uh, with clitorises find that a general gentle builder works best, right? And uh, if I think a lot of folk are like, oh, I've got to go find the clitoris, that's important, da 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 and then they might start pressing on it like a button. And for a lot of people, that's like getting an electric shock. It's start by stimulating the outside of the body and work your way into the good bits. And if you're thinking about the external part of the clitoris, that's going to respond well to friction-type uh, touching. And the G-spot, which is on the inside, is going to respond better to pressure, so a sort of slow and gentle pushing. And if you want some help finding the G-spot, if you put your tongue on the, in your mouth just now, feel the side of your cheek, right? What does that feel like? It feels, that feels very similar to putting your finger inside a vagina, right? Now take your tongue and put it behind your palate, you know, with, behind the back of where your top of the roof of your mouth is. See how that feels a little bit rough? That's what it's going to feel like when you find the G-spot, when it's aroused. So no shoving things in there willy-nilly. Give it some time to arouse and swell. And then you've got a little guide. You can be feeling the back of your palate and seeing if that feels similar to what's at the end of your fingers. Just a little spot there, just a little tip there for feeling around and going exploring. Yeah, damn. We are going to let you sit with uh, that enlightening piece of information and go to a little bit of NYC Baby by Maluka before we come back on Let's Talk About Sex with Tanya reminiscing on her academic hero, Helen <laughs> O'Connell. Don't go anywhere right here on FBI. Is it supposed to sound like this? Maluka with NYC Baby there from Source of Nurture, a compilation of uh, non-male BIPOC artists raising funds for various Black Lives Matter organisations. You would have heard bits and pieces uh, on FBI from Kelsey Lou, LaFonda, Bergsonist, Nidia, and a whole lot more right there on FBI. We are on Let's Talk About Sex. We're just about to reach into the final sections of uh, today's segment and we've been talking about female arousal systems. Tanya just filled us in on how to find the G-spot and we want to take a second to reflect on how much this is such a field of, I guess, like research and education that has doesn't have a lot of work done to it. And so having someone like Helen O'Connell to you, Tanya, makes that all the more sweeter because she has done some of that research. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about her work? 
Yeah. Um, Helen, she's basically my rock star when you think about it. She's a urologist that works in Melbourne and she's researched the clitoris in her spare time, which I find absolutely amazing. Um, she noticed when she was studying in her anatomy books that there was almost no mention of the clitoris, no illustrations, but there were yet two pages about penises. And then to top it off, she noticed that um, female genitals were described as a failure of male genital formation. Right? So anybody who studied how babies develop will know that the automatic pathway for uh, development is towards having a vulva, not a penis. Six different things need to happen to create a penis and the associated chromosomes. So given that it's so complex, um, I don't think that you can say that it's a failure of um, genital formation. So she discovered another anatomy book full of drawings published by women who did their own research in the States by basically masturbating and observing their own and each other's bodies in various stages of arousal. And they had beautiful drawings of internal and external arousal systems. So for her, she, she decided, you know what, I've got access to bodies, cadavers and science and research. So she painstakingly mapped out the nerves and the anatomical detail and using the work of the anatomist before her, she took their theories, but debunked some myths and got it all really clearly mapped out, right? So I think what's happened is the clitoris has popped up at, from time to time, but it's been a very political thing, right? So it's popped into, it was, it was in Gray's Anatomy in 1901, but the 1948 edition it had been edited out. Um, I think what I was reading about at researching is largely due to concerns about social hygiene and morality. I'm like, really? Okay. Mm. And a lot of fear because the understanding was then that the clitoris was truly a pleasure center and nothing else. So it wasn't um, important for reproductive health. So I think Helen's findings have really influenced a lot of people around the world. And um, she's really helped us understand why things happen. So I like for somebody like me, I use her work to discuss arousal and help folk understand it. I can explain the orgasm gap. I can give some context to sexual pain and discomfort. I can debunk myths, things like flabby vaginas. I can encourage uh, exploration for pleasure. And we can empower the folks who are involved to have better knowledge about their bodies and have more pleasurable sex. Helen's also put nerve endings and things like that for surgeons so they can use this in, in surgery procedures to make sure that they're keeping everything intact and not damaging yeah, wow. part genitals. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's sterling. She's done a really good job and we, we owe her a lot. Yeah, that's incredible. I think it is pretty safe to say that her work has really helped people who work in your field, no? Totally has. Um, and I think we can put up on the show page, there's a beautiful article about her that ran in the city, uh, in the Good Weekend, I think, a couple of years ago. But it's a fantastic read all about the clitoris and her work and, and things like that. So for those who are interested, we'll pop that link up and you can have a read. And there's even me in the end sort of fangirling over her. So. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Tanya, thank you so, so much for always enlightening us in a shame-free zone about sex and pleasure and just giving the best advice that comes with everything that might be a little bit embarrassing for some people. 